Hello and welcome to episode 57 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. For those of you who are listening for the first time, my name is Julian Carl and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Synergen Group and once again, really happy to be here with you again. I'm passionate about all things leadership and management. So passionate, in fact, that I decided to start a podcast about it and here we are in season two and my purpose for the podcast continues to be the same, to raise the standard of leadership. In today's show, I speak with Donna McGeorge, who is the author of The 25-Minute Meeting, Half the Time, Double the Impact. As a speaker, author, and mentor, Donna helps organizations, executives, and leaders adapt to the disruption of the traditional working model and embrace both the now of work and the future of work anywhere, anytime. She empowers managers to create work environments, interactions, and relationships that engage employees and make them want to show up, play nicely, and get the work done. The way she does this is through keynote speaking for industry conferences, mentoring for business managers, facilitating workshops, and training trainers to be more engaging. Donna has worked with managers and leaders throughout Australia and Asia Pacific for over 20 years, and she delivers practical skills, training, workshops, and facilitation to corporates such as Nissan, Jetstar, Medibank Private, and Ford Motor Company, just to name a few. Donna is the author of five books, including the one we're going to explore today, The 25-Minute Meeting, which is published by Wiley. Now, during the course of the conversation, we explore Donna's book in great detail, and I start off by asking Donna why did she decide to write this book? We speak about the six types of meetings and why only 33% of meetings are actually useful. We explore the importance of setting some meeting ground rules so everyone is on the same page. And I end up finishing the interview by asking Donna about the 25-minute meeting roadmap and what leaders can do to get there. So keep listening and as always, would really like to hear your thoughts about the interview with Donna McGeorge, author of The 25-Minute Meeting. Welcome to the Synergen Leadership Podcast with Julian Carl. Julian returns in 2019 with weekly conversations with leaders and authors from Australia and around the world, giving you the opportunity to share in their journey and learn from their expertise and knowledge. Julian also shares some of the tools and techniques he uses as a leader, mentor and facilitator, helping you to build your leadership capability and improve your confidence as a leader. Welcome, Donna, to the Synergen Leadership Podcast. Really happy for you to be on the show so that the listeners have a bit of a sense of uh, who you are. Who is Donna McGeorge? Well, Donna McGeorge is a a trainer, facilitator, and now I'm happy to say author, um, who lives in country Victoria and uh, travels about the place helping people make work work. And so I'm all about, given we spend so much time at work, I'm all about helping people make it the best possible experience that can be. And why did you decide to write uh, the book that we're talking about today, The 25-Minute Meeting, Half the Time, Double the Impact? It really came about because of I was doing a lot of work um, with my clients and, and I spend a fair bit of time uh, working with middle management. And when I asked them things like, you know, what are the biggest wastes of your time, meetings always came up number one. So, it, and, and any time you would talk about meetings, people would kind of roll their eyes, drop their shoulders and moan and groan like it was the worst thing ever. Um, and yet we spend, most of our work is done. We spend about 60% of our time each week in meetings and, and particularly for that middle management level. 
And I started to think, well, if, if that's where we're spending most of our time and that's where a lot of our work is being done, we need to, to improve this. And, and when I investigated, there weren't that many books on how to do better meetings or they were pretty standard. And I thought, no, this has to change. This is, we've, got, we've got to do something better for people here. And so I started researching and got very inspired and, um, and here we are. Fantastic. All right. Well, before we get into it, there is a, an excerpt that I'd like to read from the introduction because it uh, really resonated me with pretty much from the go. We all know it. Meetings suck. They suck up our energy and enthusiasm for life at work. Many of us are time poor, stressed out, overwhelmed, and on the verge of death by meetings. Our calendars are full of irrelevant or tedious back-to-back catch-ups and our email is overloaded with messages screaming for attention. Every time we get a chance to breathe and catch up on some real work, our computers ding to remind us of another pointless meeting that is starting in five minutes. I'm pretty sure that just about every listener can relate to that. Yeah, right. Um, and, and can I just say I did a piece of work for a client where I was, an in, like, in effect, an internal employee for two years. And that is pretty much how I felt. Uh, personally, for the time that I was working there, it was just back-to-back meetings that felt pointless and 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 would and literally would suck the life out of me. So I want to uh, get into it and probably off the bat, pretty much talk about this promise that you make. And mm-hmm. just before chapter one, you promise that uh, the twenty-five minute meeting method will halve the amount of time you spend in meetings while doubling the value of that time. That's a big promise. Mm-hmm. I know, um, and you know, big gulp uh, as you make a promise like that. And I wouldn't have done it if I hadn't actually experienced it myself. And so I would say for at least the last six to seven years, um, I haven't had a meeting that went for more than 25 minutes, unless it was specifically on a, on a topic. Like, you know, you, you can't do strategic planning in a 25-minute meeting. But, but generally, um, what I would call my business as usual, day-to-day meetings and interactions with people, I was consistently able to keep them to 25 minutes. And the second thing that started to happen was people were saying at the end of that, you know, it would be like, oh, well, we're done. That was great. That was really useful. Thank you. And so I paid attention to what was happening in the meeting that had people feel so compelled to comment on and thank me and and, and take notice of how good the meeting was. And so part of it was just, you know, the value can just be from the half of the impact. I mean, if you consider that time is, after money, our second most valuable resource, and I could even argue that there are plenty of people that say it's more valuable than money. The moment you give people back time, they immediately feel good. But then my meetings were always, you know, I, I re- um, not rehearsed, I, I practiced with and tested several structures to see which were the meetings that got us the, the better outcomes. And that's what's in the book, just through, through practice and, and trying. So in the end, I was able to say, if you do what's here, I actually can make that promise. It'll halve the time and it will double the impact and value. Well, I'm, go- I'm going to give it a go with my, uh, some of my internal meetings over, over the coming months. So I'll, I'll get, get back to you about uh, how successful I've been. But I want to uh, explore these six types of meetings that you talk about. And I found it interesting because you also not, you didn't just identify these six types of meetings. You also mentioned that uh, you gave a sort of ratio of, of how much of our time you spend in one type of meeting and how much time you spend in another. So can you share with the listeners 
the uh, six types of meetings? Yeah, sure. So most of them will have had these experiences um, easily, I would think. So there's, you know, we have painful meetings where we're not even sure why I have to go. Um, woeful meetings where I go because I feel obliged. Wasteful meetings that I get there and it's just a complete waste of time. And I sometimes even know it's going to be that before I get there. They, I might have some useful meetings. I don't complain about going, but they don't necessarily run as smoothly as I'd like. Um, mindful meetings uh, where I go and I cooperate and for the most time it's time well spent and then of course the meeting we're all hoping that all our meetings would be a purposeful I walk out feeling energized and, and maybe surprised actually that was a good meeting that was a good use of our time and what's interesting is um, research this is to be fair this is mostly research that's been done in the US but, but it's you know corporate US which is not that vastly different to corporate Australia I wouldn't think and when people were asked about the percentage of about, about their meetings and their value, they consistently said that about 67% of their meetings fell into that painful, woeful, wasteful place. And if you think about the amount of time you spend at work, that's if you do the maths, and this is not accurate, if you've got a mathematician listening, I don't need them to jump, get out their calculator and test my maths on this. But it could be that you're spending at least one day a week at work doing wasteful stuff. And if you think about it from that perspective, what would happen if I, you know, if I said to you, listeners, if I could give you one extra day a week, what would you do with that time? They'd probably love that. And, and yet we allow ourselves, um, either we allow ourselves to go to or we, we're the very ones who create literally a day of waste um, in our diaries from terrible meetings. I think anyone would would want that day back. I know if I could somehow have six days fit into five, I think that would be a great Great outcome in terms of my productivity. One of the things I liked about the book is is the fact that you um, give give people some 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 very clear direction in terms of some of the things they can do to improve their meetings. And I specifically like this idea of the autopilot to action hero. So, can you share with uh, with the listeners sort of the the key things about being on autopilot, and importantly? the key things they need to do if they're going to be an action hero? It's quite simple, really. So when you're in autopilot mode, you tend to be just operating by the default. And that's one of the key themes of this book is that we often do meetings by default. It's just how we do things. So, And and we tend to book them for 60 minutes because that's what the default setting is in our calendaring tools. And so we're, in effect, allowing, for most of us, Microsoft, to determine that our meetings will be 60 minutes just because of the default settings. And so when we go to um, Action Hero, the, the simple thing here is just having a consciousness. It's, it's like, does the, what is the meeting about? Does it need to be 60 minutes? What if it was 30? Um, who Are the right people here? Have I got a process that I'm using? And so it's just instead of being kind of on in default and just autopilot and on a treadmill, it's stopping and asking and thinking and consciously making decisions about how I can make my meetings more effective. And when you uh, talk to people about that, when you're, you're training and facilitating, is there any sense of people thinking, ah, oh, that can't be true, oh, that's not, that won't work for me? Do you sort of come up with any sort of resistance? All the time, um, all the time. And, and this is mostly because default settings are comfortable. And so in, in a world where we are bombarded with information and change and decisions we have to make, 
Um, what we want is our computers or our, our systems and processes to take away some of the decision fatigue from us. And so if I don't have to think about whether or not I do a meeting, the default is meeting. And I don't have to think about whether or not it's 60 minutes, let's just go with the default. That's actually very easy, which is why people stick with it. And, and then, of course, there's the fundamental thing that for whatever reason, people are quite resistant to change. So I get all sorts of things like, oh, my meetings could never be done in 25 minutes. And I go, excellent. Um, you know, how about you do this as a challenge accepted? How could you take five minutes off them, 10 minutes off them? Because whilst I espouse this idea and I firmly believe in 25 minute meetings, quite frankly, anything less than 60 and you're getting time back. And so typically when people say my meetings can't or my topics can't or the people who come can't or I'm at the mercy of something that I can't control, they will just make it a game that every meeting you go to, you're looking for a PB, you know, what's your personal best meeting that you can do? And if you can shave five minutes off or 10 minutes off or 17 minutes off, whatever your PB is, keep going for that until you can figure out the way to make your meetings 25 minutes. Sounds like a plan. And I, I like there's a bit of the, the sporting analogy there because obviously Australians, we love our sports. So make it a little <laughs> bit of a competition, improve your, your personal best, a good thing. You also talk about this idea of scarcity and clarity equals urgency. So when you say that, uh, how do you mean? The Parkinson's law. And so when Parkinson um, first put his principle out there, it was basically um, a bit of tongue in cheek about the bureaucracy in the government in the UK. And his comment was that the amount of time you give people is how much time they'll use. And so if you give someone an hour for a meeting, they'll use up the hour or two hours or whatever time you give them. And the analogy I use in the book is, you know, imagine if you had to clean your house on a weekend or whenever you clean your house. And most people that I ask, how long does it take you to clean your house? They'll say, all right, between two or three hours from top to bottom. And I say, okay, well, what if you find out your in-laws are about to pop in? How long does it take you to clean your house? And they'll go, dude, 15 minutes. Provided they don't look in the oven and see the dishes that have been whacked in the oven, um, we should be okay. But my point around this is that when we have clarity, uh, scarcity, so I've only got a limited amount of time and clarity, I've got to get the house clean, that creates urgency. I'll get it done as quickly as possible and I'll stay focused on it. And, you know, and another thing that I noticed, and this is when I was doing my contract with one of my clients, that when people would walk into a meeting, there was a particular manager who would frequently walk in um, you know, said at 10 o'clock and we had a one hour meeting and he'd say, look, sorry, everyone, I've got a hard stop at 10.30. And it was fascinating to me how quickly everyone would just immediately jump to attention, focus, and we get through what we would have taken an hour to do in 30 minutes because of this hard stop. And so I started playing with this one. I said, all right, I'm going to do this with every meeting I go to. I'm going to walk in and say, hey, I've got a hard stop. And I, you know, do it in 25 minutes or 30 minutes. And sometimes it would be, I've got a hard stop at 12. And my hard stop was for lunch, but I didn't tell them that. And just creating that scarcity. We've got a limited amount of time now, folks. That scarcity created um, the, the clarity and the urgency to get stuff done. So I want to um, start heading into the how to do it section of the book. And, I, and again, I, um, I actually might do a shameless plug on your behalf. I think everyone should go and buy this book because... <laughs> I think as they read it, I think they'll find there's a lot of lot of little things that they can do to, to, to get to that 25 meaning part. So shameless plug, go out and buy the book. Thank you very much. 
I really like this uh, section where you talk about the how-to and you give people a, a three-step framework in the how to start with this idea. So are we able to explore that a little bit? Absolutely. So um, for me, it was there's, there's three key things we need to focus on and each of these three things has three things. So I'll start with the, the top level. And so first of all, we have to set ourselves up for success. Um, so, you know, how, how do we set ourselves up to be able to run the kind of meetings that we want to run? Then we have to show up to the meetings and how do we behave in the meetings? And then we have to step up and um, how we participate and follow through with things. And so if, if I was to talk first about the three P's of set up, these are things like purpose, people and process. And so first of all, we ask, why are we here? The purpose, what, what are we meant to achieve? And I invite people to ask the question, at the end of this meeting, it would be great if, you know, I basically finished the sentence. Um, and that gives us a sense of purpose. And I, and I actually believe that purpose trumps agenda. So you can have an agenda that says that, that the two-minute point will talk about this, that the 10-minute point will talk about this. But sometimes even agendas don't give people a clear sense of, hang on, why are we actually here? What's the big picture? What, what, what's, the, what's the intention of the meeting? And so once you understand purpose, you can figure out who are the right people. And here we ask ourselves, who are the people that we need and how are they going to give and get value? Um, so many of your listeners, listeners may have had the experience of, of um, being invited to meetings and not really sure why and feeling like they're just showing up as a spectator. And sometimes we invite casts of thousands to meetings the same way that we um, CC people on email. And so I ask you to be really clear, what would happen if you were paying people out of your own pocket for, for them to come to the meeting? Would that have you think differently? Um, and then finally, what's the process we're going to use? How are we going to do the work? Um, and, and it's, you know, rather than just coming in and saying, hey, we're going to talk about the Jackson project. Um, what are your views, which is a typically what happens, and then several people will respond, usually either the extroverts or the people who have the most passion for the project, or even someone who wants to hijack it will kind of take over. But when you have a process that says, first of all, we're going to do a one-minute whip around the table just to get everyone, where are we at with it? And out of that, we're going to listen for themes. So then someone says, right, so we had a one-minute whip around. Here's the themes I heard. We've got a couple of hold-ups with this part. We've got some logistics problems here, and we've got some resource problems here. Would we agree? Yes, great. Okay, so what do we think we need to do about those three things to be able to shift the, the, the project forward? And just there, they've used a project called Scan Focus Act, which just says, you know, what's going on, what are the areas of focus, and what are the actions we're going to take? And that's just so much better than the typical um, process use, which is um, just brainstorming, which is not a bad process in and of itself, but it's not always useful for every meeting. Yeah, and I think the three P's give give a great uh, guideline for people to 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 start to think about the setup. And I, I did want to explore just the people side just a fraction more. And you talk about this idea of mapping your stakeholders. In other words, really considering why each person is needed. Um, can you share a little bit about why that's such an important step? It's part of like a communication strategy. It's kind of where I adapted this material from is what, what, who are the people that are part of the world that need to know stuff um, and to what level do they need to know? And sometimes they don't need to be in the meeting. A simple email follow-up will be sufficient. 
And so we, what we look at is what's their level of interest in what we're talking about and what's their level of influence on the project. And of course, people who have high levels of interest and high levels of influence, we want to have the maximum involvement possible because if they're going to influence the project, whether it's successful or not or the topic or whatever we're talking about, and it's of interest to them because it's part of their work, they need to be involved. But I just sometimes think we, we don't even do that work. We just go, you know, blanket invitation to dozens and dozens of people, irrespective of their levels of interest and influence. And, and as I said, quite frankly, there's plenty of people that don't need to be at the meeting, and but, but do need to just kind of be kept in touch, which can be done by multiple other communication methods, other than dragging everyone into a meeting. One of the one of the things which really got me thinking about the the meetings which I attend, because I obviously have to have meetings internally as part of Synergen, but you know, for those who sort of aware of my what I do, also on a board of a, of another organisation and. This bit really got me thinking, which was the definition of the roles. And you've got these five definitions, and I'd like to explore each one of those if we could, and because uh, I think that would really make sense for people to think about, well, what, what are they doing in a meeting? But also, you know, do they have all those people in the meeting? And to think that there actually are roles to be played. And so it, also, it depends on the number of people you have. So I've I've, I've de defined um, five roles here, and of course, that doesn't mean that every role gets that, that has is, happens in a meeting, and it also means that there might be multiple people doing the same role. So, for example, if we talk about leader, there's usually, but not always, but usually one, and it's usually the person who's convened the meeting, so the person who said, "Hey, can we meet?" or the person who's the acknowledged leader of the group, and they usually, but not always would be the person that would take the lead and frame the purpose of the meeting. Um, and so we then have a facilitator who is often the leader, but not always, um, but they're the person who, who's set up and gives everyone a chance to participate and drives the, the process that we're using and it's clear that there is a process. They're the ones that make sure that notes are taken, that uh, the meeting's not hijacked by someone else, that we don't go way off track that we keep focused to what we've, we've come there for. And so if you are the person that's organising it, it's probable you're playing the role of leader and facilitator. And then, of course, the general people who are invited, the information givers or getters, you know, so uh, depending on the purpose of the meeting, so there's a bunch of people who are coming here to receive information from each other or to give information to each other. And that can be any number of people, um, depending on, of course, purpose and, and um, numbers. Um, I also like to let people know if they're going to be required to make a decision um, and I encourage you to, to make sure that they are the person that can make the decision. So there's nothing worse and again, I can't tell you how many people have told me this and I reckon your listeners will be able to resonate with this as well, is that you end up having to have multiple meetings on the one topic because either we didn't have decision makers there or we needed more information or someone was away or whatever. And so multiple meetings happened when one would have sufficed. So I sometimes would say I'd rather you cancel the meeting if not all the decision makers can be there because you really should only need one meeting um, to make a call. So let people know if they're there to be a decision maker. And I love the idea of having a note taker. And it, it's kind of related to stuff that I talk about later on in the, um, in the book as well. I don't believe people lie about stuff, but I do sometimes think people remember things differently. 
And so if we're taking notes about actions, who's going to do what in the meeting, often people will make their notes in their own notebook. And then a week later, we come back and my expectation of what you were going to do is different to what you've written down. And so I love the idea of having assigning the role of a note taker, either on a whiteboard or a flip chart or even in a notebook, whose job at the end is to then photograph that and send it around to all the participants so that we've all got agreement and we've all got the same notes and we're coming from the same page. Um, so for me, it's just around let people know why they're there and what role you're wanting them to perform. It's as simple as that. Again, it comes back to that, that age-old problem of leadership, doesn't it, of setting expectations, really letting people know well, what's expected of them. So that was uh, so we explored a little bit of the the setup part of your three steps. I want to want to move over to the the show up uh, section of the book, and and you talk about the three P's of showing up. Um, yeah. So these are so I, I get to the meeting, and how do I need to be in the meeting? And so I say it's really important that you show up um, prepared, uh, punctual, and present. And so when we're prepared, we've done the pre-work, we've done the reading, um, I know what the meeting's about, I know what role I'm expected to play and I come ready to do that. Um, there's so many situations where people don't do that, like they, they show up and, and I think this is why we end up with death by PowerPoint is because, you know, really what we should be able to do is send a slide deck in advance, have people read it, give a couple of questions or comments, what do we want you to come in prepared to talk about so that when we get in the meeting we do the discussion. But too often we get into the meeting and it's a slideshow, you know, and someone's reading the slides. And I find this fascinating because if you think of the ludicrousy of this, could you imagine receiving a meeting invite that says, Dear Donna, subject, I want to read a bunch of slides to you. No one would go to those meetings. And yet this is what actually happens. We get there and someone just reads a bunch of slides to us. So for me it's like part of the, the um, preparation for your meeting, so could it be part of the setup is, send out the pre-work so people have a chance to do it so that they can come prepared. Um, the second thing is punctuality. And, and, and I actually think punctuality is like a keystone habit in an organisation that we, um, if we start to get punctuality right, what, there's a knock-on effect of all other great things that happen. And so for many people, punctuality is a mark of respect, a mark of commitment, a mark of motivation. And so when we're late for stuff all the time, there's all this undercurrent of mistrust that comes from that. And so when we show up on time, um, we're showing people that we're respectful, motivated and engaged in the work that's about to be done. So I say it's a big one. Let's, let's at least be on time for stuff. And certainly if you're only doing 25-minute meetings, you haven't got much room for error with that. Um, and finally, being fully present. And so I, I say in the book that uh, we really probably should have our phones and laptops turned off or, or turned down or whatever we need to do. Because um, let's face it, it's only 25 minutes. And, and if your business is in that much strife that you can't be contactable for 25 minutes, the whole thing would collapse. There's more going on than whether you're having a meeting or not. So I say to people, can you switch off and be fully present? And that way we're more likely to be focused on the task at hand. I have had a bit of pushback with this as I've had people say, you know, I like to take notes. Um, in, in meetings and I use my technology to take notes, I'm like, fine, if we all agree that up front, that's great. And how good and, and disciplined are you at resisting the temptation to then also check your email if you get the pop-up that comes up or engage in a quick um, instant messaging conversation if that pop-up comes up. So it's really about, so that 25 minutes, can you be fully focused on the, the task at hand or the, the discussion at hand? And that's 
that I think I actually think this is the meat of the 25 minute meeting. I think this is where it, it the beauty actually happens, the value happens. And just following on from what you said about the rules, you actually uh, a bit further into the chapter talk about you know making sure that everyone is clear on these ground rules and and the importance of uh, agreeing to them. But also you talk about the consequences of breaching the rules. So what what sort of consequences are we talking about? Well, it could be anything from the doors locked and you're not allowed in. Um, so if you come late to the meeting, that's it. The doors locked. To if you're late, you can't. You're not. Um, you don't have the right to then disagree with anything that's agreed in the meeting. And so if if we have a meeting and we agree a bunch of stuff, and then you come in 20 minutes late or however minutes late, and say, "Hang on a second, I'm not sure I agree with that." Too bad you weren't there for the discussion, and therefore we've we've moved on. So there's there's some kind of very you know, practical and business-like consequences. But it can even be some fun stuff, you know, like you've got to now go buy coffee for everyone around the table or um, you've got to stand up and sing a song, sing the national anthem, dance to your mobile ring phone, ringtone. Some, yeah, it can be silly as well. Um, I know organisations, uh, people have been quite playful with this. They've done things like you, you might get yellow carded and if you get too many yellow cards, then you get a red card and there's, some kind of meaning for that. So a couple of yellow cards might mean grab us a coffee. Red cards mean, you know, Friday night at the pub, it's your shout for, for two shouts or something. And so you, you make it whatever you like it to be, from very serious to you can't, you can't contribute, you've lost your right to contribute for this, to you just got to buy me a beer on Friday. It's, it's really up to you. I'm liking that consequence. <laughs> <laughs> so... Moving into the the um, the stepping up stage, uh, th- th- I think the listeners have pro- probably gathered by now. There's a, a theme in terms of the three P's, and uh, there's three P's in the stepping up stage as well. Absolutely, um, and and this is uh, for me. It was very fortuitous that I managed to make my process all uh, work with P's, and so. Um, the three P's of stepping up. Um, this is again, we're in the meeting and we're kind of, we're in the meeting and then we're moving out now um, to, to post meeting. This is about participating, producing and proceeding. And so when we participate, we want to make sure that everyone in the room feels physically and psychologically safe to turn up as their best selves and be able to contribute. And so to talk about the opposite of that, if, if we've had people um, in previous meetings, if I share an idea and, and I get yelled at or I get told I'm an idiot or my meeting is just, or my idea is dismissed out of hand, I may not show up as safe next time or feel as safe next time to participate. And so the owner is, onus is somewhat um, on the um, manager or facilitator to ensure that we have a safe environment for people to participate. Um, and, you know, I talk in the book about building rapport and, and checking in with people and spending, a, a, even though we've only got 25 minutes, spending a minute or two getting, you know, building relationship and checking that we're all good so that people can actually participate to, to their best ability. Um, and then I talk about produce, and this is about using our, the meeting to enhance our work, not stopping people from doing their real work. And, and, and this came about because, for me, how many meetings um, do do you go to, you know, particularly if you've got back-to-back all day, and then I hear people say things like, oh, now I've got to stay back for several hours and do my real job or my real work because I've spent all day in meetings. And so we want to make sure when we're stepping up and making our meetings, you know, really impactful that they, um, that they are about producing work and that they're about enhancing the work. And sometimes we might even do the work in the meeting. 
So rather than say, let's do that outside, you know, or we'll conduct another meeting, um, or the, the classic phrase is, let's take that offline. It's like, no, let's actually do the work now because if we do it now and we take the next five minutes to do that, that means when we go out, we're, we're that much ahead of the game again. So really being conscious of making sure meetings are about helping us to produce work, not instead of um, work. And finally, that we proceed, that we, we follow through on commitments, um, we have actions and we hold people accountable. And, and this kind of goes back to the point I made earlier around, I don't believe people lie, but I do think they remember things differently. And so if we're very conscious of what our, uh, our process is for capturing our actions, then people are able to be held accountable and we're able to proceed, proceed onwards with the work that needs to be done. Yeah, you also, and you mentioned just then about this idea of building rapport and that there's, there's some good stuff in, in the book about how to build it. So why, why is rapport such a key part of these 25-minute meeting structure? Well, there's a, there's a bit of neuroscience around this, is that the more comfortable people feel, the more, the, the more and not, and not um, at risk in any way, then they've got that greater access to the part of the brain that helps them think and process um, versus if they feel uncomfortable, unsafe, stressed or, or threatened in some way, then their fear senses start running, running the show um, and that actually shuts down their ability to think that clearly. And so when we have people feeling comfortable and relaxed, then they're able to do their best thinking in meetings. And so I, I, I say, you know, I, I use an example in the book that sameness equals safety. Um, and I talk about how our, our brain is hardwired to look for things that are familiar and safe. And so when we do simple things, just like all sitting or all standing, or um, if I'm the meeting convener, leader or facilitator, um, I might match or mirror certain body postures so there's an unconscious connection to sameness. Um, or if I feel like there's stress in the room um, or people are a bit, um, you know, agitated, I'll name it and let's talk about it before we go any further. And, and this 25-minute meeting might be more effective to clear the air around that because I'd rather do that than waste our time not getting anywhere. And so I'm really big on making sure people are psychologically and physically safe enough to be their best selves. And, and yeah, and building rapport is a great way of doing that. I'm noticing a real uh, increase in the number of people that are starting to talk about the idea of psychological safety and recognising the importance of it in the performance level of any team, whether it be in their, their operations, their finance, their, the way they conduct meetings. It's just becoming more and more relevant, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, absolutely. So you also talk about, uh, and you mentioned earlier about this SCAN Focus Act framework. I'd like to dig a little bit deeper into that and, and um, have you share with the listeners why that's such an important part of uh, stepping up. Well, it's about um, making sure that we get, get the right work done, as I said. So part of the produced um, part of this part of the model is doing the work in the meeting rather than later or feeling like people didn't get the value out of it and later have to make up time by staying back late and missing out on time with their family and their kids and stuff. So for me, Stan Focus Act is the, it's my master model for just about everything that I do um, when it comes to facilitating meetings or workshops or anything like that. And it starts off, I, I, in the book, um, I draw it as a diamond shape. 
So if you listeners can imagine a diamond shape right now and then a line cutting in half, so it looks like two triangles mirroring each other, one on top of the other. And I say that that, um, that diamond shape is representative of the time in the meeting and that line across the middle says that half the amount of time we should be spending on scan. And then the lower triangle, if we halve that again, that gives us the time we should be spending on focus and the time we should be spending on act. And so um, it gets very technical here, but I say, you know, so in a 25-minute meeting, we spend about 12 minutes scanning, about eight minutes focusing, and about five minutes on the action plan moving forward. And scan can be anything, as I used as an example before, let's do a whip around the room and just uh, one minute each just to give us an update on where you're at on the project. Um, the focus is then let's identify the, um, the the areas that need attention or what are the patterns or themes that are emerging and what do we need to focus on um, moving forward. And then so what are our actions around that? And that really punchy meeting helps us then. That, that's doing the work. That says now, okay, good. That enhances me. I know what the priorities are. I go back to my desk and I'm able to get on with it. And that meeting has helped me be able to do my work. One of the things which I really uh, noticed in the book was was the the tips and tricks and the and the and the recommendations. And one of those was this idea that before you even have the meeting, you've got to design the meeting to make sure that it's efficient. Is there is there any anything you can share with the listeners about how they can go out and do that if they're thinking about after they've heard this podcast and they've got a, a meeting that they're planning? What should they be thinking about to make it really efficient? So first of all, the easiest thing is to simply right now decide that you're going to make the meeting 25 minutes. doesn't matter whether you, you know, booked the meeting, whether you initiated or whether you've been invited, just in your head decide it's going to be 25 minutes and you need to be super clear what the outcome is. And so if you're going to a sales meeting, the outcome might be by the end of this meeting, it would be great if I've made a sale. Um, Fantastic. So the 25 minutes, that's what you're trying to head towards. Um, or it might be um, at the end of this meeting, it would be great if we've made a decision on this part of the budget. And so over the course of 25 minutes, I want to drive the meeting towards making that decision. And so when we're designing our meetings and we're designing our, our day, even we're thinking, right, so at the end of this, what do I want to have happen? I've got 25 minutes to make that happen. How will I use Scan Focus Act? to support that, what might be the scan technique, and it could be, um, you know, post-it note data gathering, it could be brainstorming, it could be a whole bunch of things. Um, focus, and then what do we need to focus on and how do I need to focus my energy towards this and then what's the actions that we needed to end? And so when we're designing how we want our meetings to be, for me it's about being fully conscious and intentional as opposed to just I'm just going to pop off and have a meeting and a catch-up. That's the worst thing. Yeah, that someone ever invites you, Dear Donna, come to my meeting for a catch-up. That's like you should hear whoop, 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 warning bells going off because that says I don't really know what we're going to talk about and we're just going to amble for a while. And so it's perfectly legitimate to go back, yeah, we'd love to have a catch-up. What do you want to talk about? At the end of the meeting, what do you want to have happen? What's the purpose of the meeting? And if it's been years, I haven't seen you for a long time. Um, it would be great to just have a cup of tea and, and see where you're at. It's okay for you to do that. And let's just make it 25 minutes. You also talk about the three ways to add value and uh, some of these really resonated with me. So I want to, want to start with the first one, which is this idea of getting virtual. It's, um, 
I think we would be, it would be remiss of me not to talk about virtual meetings. And I'm actually not sure that I even gave enough time for it in this book, because I would say that as we become a more globalised world and our work is more distributed and um, I know many of my clients uh, are managing teams located all over the world in different time zones, it's important that our virtual meetings need to be the best that they can be. Um, and also, it's a bit harder because, you know, I don't, I, they're twice as hard to do and I'm also saying and now we're going to halve the time of them. And so, so you really need to be switched on and very intentional and focused to be running good virtual meetings. And so I recommend things like, you know, make sure you use the camera. Um, let people see your face. And I know the technology still sometimes lags with that, but, it, but it's still very important. It's an important part of building relationships. Um, I say run it like a radio show. So if you're running a webinar or a meeting and you've got multiple people around the, around the world or in different locations, you need to remember that whilst you feel like you've got a one-to-many relationship, they feel like it's a one-to-one -one relationship with you. And so um, if you listen to radio announcers, they, they never say things like, hello, everyone out there in radio land. They will say something like, good morning to you. What's happening for you today? I'm interested in your thoughts as if they're having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you. And I think that's really useful when we're in virtual meetings so that people can feel like you're having the conversation with them, not this vague, nebulous people that could be on the call. Um, and the other thing I think you need to do with virtual is you need to be a bit more repetitive with them. So you need to tell them in the meeting invite what's going to happen. You need to remind them again in a follow-up email maybe the day or two before. You need to make sure your first slide reminds people of what the intention is again. And this is just simply because we don't have the same access to that face-to-face -face corridor conversation where we just naturally get reminded of stuff. Um, and so when we're virtual, we need to, to be really overt about um, letting people know what we want them there for and reminding them at least three times before they come along and before the meeting starts so that everyone's super clear. Hopefully everyone's super clear on what we're doing. The second way that you talk about adding value is this idea of variety. Yeah, and this, this is, you know, in my research I discovered some really cool things about some quite admired leaders in the world. And so when you, you know, think about um, people like Barack Obama or um, Mark Zuckerberg, uh, these are people that were very big fans of the idea of meetings whilst walking around. I think also, um, oh, I'm just having a mental blank now, the Apple guy, um, 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 never mind. Your, your listeners right now are all yelling, um, the former CEO who recently passed away of Apple, who I can't believe I can't Steve Jobs. his name right now. That would be it, Steve Jobs, thank you. All your, all your listeners were yelling, I guarantee it. Um, another fan of meeting whilst walking around. And really probably a bit harder for multiple meetings, but certainly for one-on-ones, um, you know, just, just two people. It's great. Go, go for a walk. And there's some really added value around this from a, it creates equality. So when we're walking side by side, we're in rapport because of the pace that we're walking. We're in rapport because we can only talk at a certain speed and pitch and volume, etc. because of, of when you breathe and walk, it forces you to, to speak a certain way. So I get puffed out if you're trying to speak too fast and too much when you're walking and walking at pace. And it just creates this where like a mateship about having a, a having a meeting rather than this formal beside the you know opposite table. Um, and the other thing is um, 
you know, of course it's healthier because we spend so much time at our desk. But if you can't do the meeting whilst walking around, have a crack at doing meetings whilst standing up. And even if you're in an office for that, get, get out from behind the desk and stand somewhere in your office and, and have the conversation. Um, there's a couple of things that will happen there. Again, it's good for your health to, to get moving. But secondly, standing meetings tend to be go way shorter. For some reason, it kicks into some urgency stuff. So I don't think it's the discomfort, although if your shoes aren't comfortable, it's not useful. Um, but certainly, when we stand up, we tend to, our meetings tend to cut back by about 50-odd um, percent um, when we stand up. Now, my personal favourite in terms of your three uh, ways to add value is this idea of thing visual. Uh, the, the, the more and more that we add visuals into our work that we do here with Synergen, the, the more and more people are really uh, responding to it. So walk me through some of the ideas about uh, thinking visual. It's really about tapping into the visual sense, which actually processes information way faster than words on a screen. And so that's the first thing. So if we're, we're talking about halving time, it means we've got to be a bit more, um, we've got to be more efficient and productive about how we use that time. So why wouldn't we use a more effective um, uh, process like visuals because we're going to process that much faster? Uh, secondly, and now this doesn't mean, so if any of your listeners are going, yay, I already do that because it's PowerPoint. Um, I, I want to just remind you that PowerPoint, if you're using it covered with words and slides and bullet points and if at, at any time you're saying the sentence, I know you can't read this, but then you're probably not using visual slides. What you're doing is, is just putting a whole bunch of words on a, on a screen and that's not using visual. If you can figure out how to turn all of those words, what's the picture that those words are about is way more powerful. Um, so, that's, so first of all, if you're using PowerPoint, you've got to use way more pictures. I'm happy with graphs. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with even, you know, grabbing the, the mouse and drawing on the, the PowerPoint screen. What I'd love to see less of is words. Then that's how we create more visual impact with PowerPoint. But the other thing I say is what would happen if you ditched PowerPoint altogether? Um, and so there's a number of really great books around this. Dan Rome wrote a book called um, The Back of the Napkin. Um, Lynn Kazali wrote a book called Sense Making. And both of these are about how we use pictures to convey meaning and how do we draw our problems um, and draw our solutions rather than, you know, the typical PowerPoint, death by PowerPoint. And so in the, in the book, I say, you know, the brain loves pictures. It responds really well to that. And I offer just a few really simple visual things you can start drawing. So I'm not an artist by any stretch. I know I can use lines and shapes cleverly, but you don't need to be an artist. If you can draw a stick figure, that's the universal symbol for a person, no matter what language you speak. And so just being able to draw some simple things um, can just create and convey so much more meaning meaning than a slide full of words. Hallelujah. I'm all for ditching <laughs> PowerPoint uh, completely. Uh, anyone that's been through any of my programs will know that uh, that's the basis of it. We don't need it. It doesn't add any value at all. Unless, of course, you're training something like Excel or something like that. It's a bit difficult to do that on a flip chart, I've discovered. Of course. Yep. <laughs> so I really like the way that uh, your 25-minute meeting roadmap tied all of the nine P's that we've gone through in each of the three stages together. So do you recommend that people take a snapshot of, of, of that 
that page first and say, okay, what's my purpose, people, process, and, and they walk all the way through it? Is that the way you think people should uh, look at that graphic you've got in the book? Yeah, this is, this is the bit that I reckon you, you, you take a photo of it and print it. You got my permission. Take a photo, print it, and stick it up on your desk just to remind you when you're putting your meetings together, are you following that? And then opposite the page in the book where the picture is, is, is less than a page of just what are the questions we need to be asking ourselves or what are the actions we need to be taking for each of those. And you're right, you, you, you could argue, don't, don't read the book, cut straight to page 162 and 163 where the, uh, the shortcut is if you're so inclined. Um, and, or maybe go and go back through the book and then pick out which bits might you need a little bit more attention on and, or where, where might you need some tools or tips. But you're right, for the most part, the, the crux of this book is on that roadmap. This is just all the, the nine keys that you need to be able to run effective short meetings. Yeah, oh, I think the graphic provides a really good overview and I think people do need to read uh, all of the book because they need to understand what's <laughs> behind each of those because I, th I think yeah. trying to jump into it without reading and I think, I think they might get into some trouble. But talk to me about the <laughs> three <you>. R's. <laughs> and I like these three R's. You know, <laughs> talk to me about those. <laughs> well, you know, when I wrote this book, um, and in fact, it was in, a, in another interview that I had about the book. Um, I, I had two things. So someone had said to me, uh, how do you change the culture of meetings? And I said, well, I don't think you can. And, and when I wrote this book, I was very clear. I was not writing this book for the, the head of HR or organization development to now go change the culture using these principles, although they're more than welcome to. I was writing this book for... I'm a manager sitting at work at my desk, wringing my, wringing my hands and, and running my fingers through my hair, if I've still got my hair left, um, madly trying to figure out how can I just make my life better. And so when I wrote, so, so this is about me right now, how do I change how I do meetings? And I was very conscious that you are going to come up against some um, characters who are going to make it difficult for you. And of course, you're going to get people who resist anything. So you'll get your resistors who don't, who don't really like change and they'll, they'll resist change. And sometimes they'll do it really actively. They'll say, 25 minutes? We can't do our work in 25 minutes. And they won't even be willing to try because it just feels so weird for them. Or they might even be passive resistance. So, sure, you want to do 25 minutes? No problem. And then I'll prove to you that we can't do it by dropping a bombshell two minutes before the end of the meeting. And so that's what your resistors do. And you just got to watch out for them because, uh, you know, they, they may derail your, your uh, intentions around trying to run shorter meetings. Um, we might also have rebels. Now, rebels can be useful because quite most of the time when it's rebels who are buying my book because they actually like the idea of doing meetings differently and they, they're rebellious and this idea of 25-minute meetings appeals to them. Um, but just be careful. What they'll rebel against is too many rules. And so if you start to try and set up too many rules about how you run the 25-minute meetings, that's how you'll lose them. So you engage them first by saying, hey, we're going to break the rules by only doing 25-minute meetings. They go, yay, and they're on board. And then they'll immediately, if you put too many rules in front of them, start trying to break those. So they can be your mate, actually, rebels. And then there's just the recalcitrants who have just been around the block too much and they see my book sitting on your desk and they say, oh, this looks like another fad. And they'll give you all the reasons under the sun why it won't work. And they'll reluctantly try, but they'll probably never admit that it's actually a good thing. And so what you need to do 
for you as a manager trying to overcome these is just schedule, you know, if you, if you really want to overcome it, schedule 60-minute meetings, but just finish them in 25. And so no one really knows. You don't really need to announce to the world, hey, I'm going to do 25-minute meetings. You can just schedule 60, but just run them and, and end them early. Um, I find the best way to get resistors on board um, is say we're going to pilot something. For some reason, saying that we're going to make this change, they'll resist. But if we say we want to pilot something, they're more likely to be on board. Um, be okay to extending it. And so if people say, look, I think we need more time for this, be okay with that. Extend the time if you need to. Um, and I'd and I pick, your, pick your moments. Like if you're talking about a highly emotive or high-risk situation, having that as your first crack at 25-minute meetings might not be the best thing to do. So try them first out on... You know, try them with people who you think are going to be okay with it. I think one-on-one -on -one meetings are really useful and generally low risk. Um, and, you know, just, you know, the fourth R for you, you know, dear listeners and readers, is um, resilience. Just just keep at it. Just keep poking away at it and you'll get, you'll get your results. So as we start to, uh, to, to wrap up our, our little conversation, any last words on leadership and the 25-minute meeting, Donna? Look, I reckon um, don't, don't wait for anyone else to try and fix this. I think meetings are such a big issue and such a big problem, which is why I don't think much happens with them. And so it's a total leadership moment for you, um, or, or for, for, for you to, in your area of influence, to make a small change that could have a massive ripple effect. And so my advice is just to, to try it for yourself. Decide you're going to do 25-minute meetings. Start working through the, the P's and you in the area that you influence start to make some really positive changes. And then, you know, if the ripple effect happens, great. If it doesn't, at least in your world, um, you're, getting, you're, you're getting better results and you're, and you're not wasting so much time. Well, thank you. And on that note, I want to say a, a big thank you for uh, being, being a guest on our, on our little podcast here. Donna, all the best. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It was great. Well, that wraps up episode 57 of the Synergen Leadership Podcast. And I'd like you to encourage to head on over to the Synergen Group website and engage in the conversation with us. Tell us what you liked, tell us who you'd like us to interview and tell us the type of content you'd like us to deliver. And if you are an iPhone user, please feel free to head over to Apple and leave us a review. In next week's episode, which will be another content episode, I'm going to introduce to you this idea of the five levels of customer value. Obviously, a passion area of mine, so super excited about that episode. So until then, we'd love to hear what you think and happy listening.